Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. Today we're looking at a blog post titled Ravi Zacharias 2 by some guy named Greg Monteith. It's on his blog. It's dated August 22nd, 2015. And I thought this was interesting. You broke this down. I'm going to skip down towards, I don't know, part way towards the post. And you talk about engaging with Christians and non-Christians. And and then you kind of lay out five ways that you want to engage with others. Christians and non-Christians, you say quite similarly. I think I would say equally there. Mm -hmm. So you're... Your five things are, first, I want to understand who this person is and be understood by them. Second is, my intention is not first to teach others, but to learn whatever I can from them while realizing that I also have things of value to offer others. Third is, my starting place with anyone is not the Bible, but my humanity. That could be interesting discussion a little bit. Mm. Fourth I want to engage with others in the process of living a fulfilled and meaningful life. And fifth, I want to advocate to others the joys, benefits, and truths that I've experienced and come to believe about myself and life in light of rightly relating with God. I have to admit, I was more excited about this particular thing than I've been about anything in a long time. And it's not there yet. Like, it's not... It's not something that maybe you would look at and go, wow, but it's something that for me, as I see where it's going and I was able to kind of distill what I wanted to say in just a couple of um, paragraphs, I was really overwhelmed because it's it's not me looking at Christian apologetics and saying, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong, but me sort of saying, well, here's how I would do it and why, and here's how it fits in with everything I've been saying, and then let's contrast this hmm. with Christian apologetics. That sounds positive. Well, yeah, and I think I think it's the it's the island I've been standing on mapped out, whereas before at least there were crucial parts of it that weren't mapped out. Hmm. And I think this is kind of a kernel or a core that for me, I think there's one or two steps maybe below this that I need to uh, kind of express, but this is pretty close to, you know, the bedrock of it. So that had me pretty excited. So one of these that caught my attention was this fifth one. Let me read that again. And then let's, I don't know, let's use that as a jumping off point today and, and see where that takes us. Fifth, I want to advocate to others the joys, benefits, and truths that I have experienced and come to believe about myself and life in light of rightly relating with God. That's so different than I want to advocate to others the the importance of accepting Jesus as their personal saver so they don't go to hell. Yeah. You, you, you know, it's, it's really crazy because when you said that to me, I thought, how? Like, how is that so different? And then when you put it that way, I, I, you know, I think that's probably what's what's happening for me and what's been happening for me through the last however many episodes of our podcast together and before that. It just doesn't make sense to me. Like the way that people approach it, this is really important and you have to do this. You know, like the everything's on fire and and you got to get the heck out of the building. Because I that's not part of like that's not my life. 
Well, and it's, everything's not on fire in my life, and I'm not rushing around trying to frantically achieve something or right. ward something off. Well, and and for me, someone that's much more, well, I don't know, much more. I'm very pragmatic and practical, mm-hmm. and so this speaks to that in a way that when you die, where will you spend eternity? It's mm-hmm. like I can't relate to that at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. It doesn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. I don't feel afraid of dying. I don't, I've never died before. So I don't know if it's going to turn out to be a good thing or a bad thing. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, this whole, I guess may, maybe for someone that's sitting where I'm sitting, where it's like sometimes I feel like I experience God, a lot of times I don't. I'm looking for more than what I have to to hang everything on where I want to spend eternity, which ties into this whole thing that I'm just not sure how it all works or feels like it works, hmm. doesn't, there's not a lot of hooks there. Yeah. Whereas if, you, whereas if you tie it to joys, benefits, truths, um, how it reconciles with your lived existence, or if I could reconcile it with my lived existence, in a way that other things that I couldn't with other things, which I think is what you would advocate. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, they're really, that gives me something to stand on here. That gives me something to tell others about mm-hmm. as opposed to, Hey Greg, you know, or Hey John, do you know where you're going when you die? Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. I tied into some of our other conversations, you know, people, that's not a compelling thing for people these days. I mean, a lot of people would just laugh at it. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, it's interesting because when I I see what you mean when you read the fifth one there, and I'm guessing that what you're getting from the fifth one is this is how I would go about presenting God. But really when I wrote it, what I meant was this is how I would go about living my life. And I would talk to people about God. That would be like six. So it's really in- interesting to me that you're, you, you kind of, okay, he's advocating joys, benefits, and truth have experienced and come to know. Like, I want to do that on an ongoing basis, but I may not do it in a direct way in that fifth one. I think the sixth part, or whatever that might be, where I, you know, we, a couple podcasts ago, we when you were at the podcast conference and people asked you if you were a Christian and you asked me how I would respond to that, I guess what I saw in these four, th- these five things I've written here about how I would interact with anyone is number five was about really, I guess I put it at the end, the goal is to jubilate in becoming my best self as one who is loved by, in love with, and rightly relating to God. And I guess that's still not necessarily me talking to somebody directly about, well, here's what I believe. Here's what I think. Here's what I've experienced. But it's me, you know, going about my day in a way that allows me to still be aware that there are things I'm joyful about. There are really enormous benefits that I have in my life that have, I think have uh, are available to me and have been cultivated by me and through me and for me 
as a result of me being in the right relationship with God. And so it's just, I'm not sure if I'm being clear on that, but it was interesting to me that you, you saw number five as this is kind of like, this is, there's a five-step process. And on the fifth one, this is how Greg engages with other people about God. And I saw this just as, here's how I engage with people. I haven't even talked necessarily about God yet. Well, you're saying you want to advocate you want to advocate to others. That that to me says you want to interact and talk with them. Yeah, but I might not even be talking about God. I might be talking about, you know, good parenting choices. I might be talking about, you know, good ways to interact with my wife or better ways to manage my time or other things that, you know, how I've managed to regulate my schedule or... I don't know, the, enjoy my life or, you know, how I found that being rigorous and kind of attentive to some of the things that are important to me has paid off despite, you know, the extra time and effort it takes. And that might be talking directly about, you know, well, here are my Christian beliefs and 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 here are how, here's how they play into, you know, the the joys and benefits that I experience, and here's why I think these things are true, but it might not be. And so I guess what I'm saying is, there's still a space where I, as Greg, need to live out the joy and goodness of being in right relationship that hits me right between the eyes way before any thought of, gee, I wonder if this person's a Christian. I wonder how much I could help them. Or I wonder what they need to know. Or I wonder before any of those things. In other words, I think we're supposed to be in a certain sense caught up with God. Not giddy or senseless, but caught up with, preoccupied with in a way that God is... Looms large, looms largest, maybe. Mm. Let's say it that way. Looms largest on my horizon. And, um, you know, so a lot of times in number five, what that means for me is, is as a very inner thing is when I write something, when I'm blogging or when I'm podcasting with you, or maybe if I'm working with the, the church group and, and um, you know, either I'm able to formulate something that I haven't been able to formulate before and it's tricky and it just comes out smoothly and clearly and kind of in, in a compelling way or somebody else is able to kind of maybe in that church group to pick up something they haven't picked up before that's something that i really revel in i really think that's fantastic you know whether it's something necessarily about god or just about themselves and how they live their lives or how to live those lives better i, I guess i would say that even in the fifth one i'm not sort of focusing directly on let me tell you about god mm-hmm mm-hmm Tell me more about the third one. So the third one is intriguing too. Third, okay. I think a lot of people will take issue with this one. Third, my starting place with anyone is not the Bible, but my humanity. Mm. By starting my engagement in this way, I enter the process of mutual understanding, my first interest above, where it is most likely to meet with success and situate truth-seeking, my second interest above, within its proper framework. In both cases, beginning with the human and creational. The goal here is living with others according to my best understanding of how life works, which is creation frames salvation, salvation transforms creation. Might, mm-hmm. need, might need to dig 
a few levels deeper into that. But I think on the surface, people would really take issue with this, especially people that say, you know, the Bible is our number one reference point. Mm-hmm. And we can't trust our humanity because it's fallen and sinful, which mm-hmm. is, by the way, why you need God or you need Jesus. So how can you how can you start with yourself? I mean, that just seems fraught with problems and error and misguidedness and just overall a bad idea. Yeah. Well, no. How would you respond to those people? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, no. Oh. <laughs> I would. You would well, start by saying well, no, okay? <laughs> no, no, not necessarily, but no. I, I think if someone raised that, that, and that's a very, very common concern, and I think there are there are kind of a constellation of ideas that accompany that 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 concern. Typically, one is God's always first. God always has to be first, and and in some Christian traditions, God is so much first that that I am. I'm like a way, I'm so far distant second or something that I, I'm hardly on the map. Other traditions, I think, get it a little bit better. And I'm not suggesting, in other words, that God isn't fuller, richer, truer, better than me. I'm not suggesting that. But I'm suggesting on a theological level, which I think is, I, I hope this is undeniable. If, if someone wants to deny this, please and you've got basis for doing so, let me know. I'd, I'd love to know. But I don't think anybody's born a Christian. We become Christians. So we are always starting off as human beings living in the world. Now, I think one of the biggest difficulties that I encounter when I'm reading a lot of um, academicians, whether they're theologians or exegetes or philosophers who are Christians, is that a lot of these people come from very Christian backgrounds. And I don't mean that it's, you know, there's a picture of Jesus on every wall of their house. I mean that they, they live in towns that are predominantly Christian where and, and their families have been Christians for long, long, many, many generations. And everybody's a Christian. Their plumbers are Christian. Their doctors are Christian. Their bakers are Christian. You know, so it seems like you start off that way. You're so wrapped up in it that you can't really make that distinction. And I would say, well, yeah, it's harder, right? For me, it's much easier. It's, 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 it's so remarkably easy because I threw it all away. I lived for five or six years as an agnostic. Um, but I, I think the other kind of piece in this constellation is this idea of, you know, how do, how do we read the Bible? What, what type of book is it? And some people would say, the same people that would say that um, we have to start with God, would say the Bible's a special book. It's very, very special. It's unique. There's no other book like it. And then you have other people who would say, no, well, well, no, it's an ordinary book. It's just like any other book. Now, most of those people in the second camp uh, would not be evangelical Christians. But fine, fair enough. There's a second camp there. Um, My response is both. It is both an ordinary book like any other. It has genres. Uh, it has tropes and metaphors. I can understand it because it is written and has the forms and structures of, of any other book. But it is special, likewise, with its the way that it has uh, this um, interplay of genres, the way you might have, you know, 
prophecy and narrative coming together. It's special in the sense of its theology and what it's talking about. And so you have this interplay, right, between the Bible as unique and the Bible as like any other. And it's this, it's exactly the same thing with life. And we have the same thing, actually, when we talk about hermeneutics or interpretation. And so what we talk about, and this is something that um, was a, a good part of, a good portion of my um, my graduate work, was looking at how a we all come to any given situation with a very general hermeneutic. In other words, with a general way, you can think of hermeneutic as way of seeing the world. I have a general way of seeing the world. As somebody who's lived in the world, you know, I know what a lawnmower is, I know what it is to eat, I know what it is to sleep, and other things like that. And then we encounter something that is like a lens, it's like, a, it's like another way of seeing the world. It refocuses our view, not only, let's say, of the world, but of ourselves. So this is kind of a special or a specific type of hermeneutic. It's a specific lens. And there are a lot of people who would say, no, 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 this, this is the only way we have to look at it. We, we look at it from the specific first. And again, I would say, no, you, we, we live in the world as human beings, as beings who understand what it is to live humanly. It's the only way we know. And then, you know, we come across this text and some of us, we're introduced to it so young that we don't really have much of a sense of what it is to live in a non-Christian way, even if we ourselves, of course, at that point, aren't Christians, right? But I think- Which I can relate to. Okay, well, yeah. And maybe you can shoot back to me on this one then. You know, like, when did you, I mean, how did that work out for you? Did you always consider yourself to be a Christian? Was there a sense no, of- No, there, there was like a specific time. Mm-hmm. But the- yeah, to your point, I can't think of what it was not like to not be in a Christian setting. Okay. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's um, there's a benefit to that, right? If we think, for those who say that Christianity is good, and I'm one of them, there's a benefit to that, right? You're, you're assuming that your Christian environment is generally, uh, you know, fairly authentic, you know, that it's not fraught with a lot of um, hypocrisy and, and uh, you know, duplicity, I would say that's a benefit. But, you know, it's also an obstacle because it keeps you from relating to yourself based on who you are in your origin, which is I'm a human being, you know? And I think what I'm trying to focus on here... Okay, so you're wanting to start there first. I have to. And everybody you meet, every single person that you meet and you talk to as an adult and you say, are you a Christian? And they say, no. They recognize that. Right. But when you, but when you go there, you've kind of jumped way too far down the track and skipped over the most important part. They're a human like you're a human. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So sorry, say say that again. What what what's where's the skip happen? Well, if you just skip to hi, my name's John. Are you a Christian? Yes. <laughs> like we yeah. skipped a few steps there. Because yeah. it's a it's a and I don't think well, I I don't think many people do that. But I think at least I don't know, I can speak to my own growing up 
there was i feel like there was often a filter like Mm -hmm. oh is this person a christian or not you know Mm -hmm. is this a christian environment or not Mm -hmm. is this a movie christians should see um you know those kinds of things i feel like those were kind of just part of the ongoing narrative in my head because the understanding i had was that if they weren't they were dangerous they were fraught with any number of things going wrong right and then what happened was of course i reached adulthood and started spending an well a majority of my time with people that weren't christians and things weren't falling apart as they were supposed to Mm -hmm. then i had to say okay now what do i do right yeah you, you make a really good point you know I think there probably are some people who do approach other people with the, are you a Christian or do you know Jesus or any of that? But one thing I realized as I was writing this down and I got to the end of it, you know, just below the the fifth point and I, um, it was really powerful to me to realize that in a certain sense, when I'm talking literally about my my Christian perspectives, my views about who God is and who human beings are and how the two should relate. And talking about how God seeks to relate to us, I am talking about biblical truth claims. And I think this kind of five-fold kind of presentation is essentially me offering myself as partial proof of those claims me offering myself as some of the truth value to justify the claims that I put out before I even put those claims out. And that in that kind of, by taking that approach, there's a built-in degree of legitimacy that to my mind, in a culture that is so fraught with suspicion, and, and some of that suspicion is warranted and some of that suspicion is rampant you know, is just the way that we are. And I think the ability to trust, you know, trust as a, both a virtue and as a, um, yeah, a necessary quality of, of human relationship, it's, it's kind of broken, you know? And so if that's the way it is, you start talking with somebody about a subject that they're suspicious of and they just write you off. And as we talked about, you know, uh, a, a couple of podcasts ago, I, I don't want that, right? I'm going to work as hard as I can when I'm engaging with people because of number five, like I do think that there are, there are phenomenal benefits and things that give me great joy and they are truths that have helped me to become more myself and more someone that I value and respect than I have ever been before. Why would I, and, and, and I, that's something I deeply wanted. I didn't know I wanted, but I'm so glad I have. And that's something that it's of incredible value to me. And so I, I would want to to share that. And yet, in order to get to a spot where the things I'm talking about can have legitimacy, it's an entire approach, an entire way of being with somebody, you know. And I guess, too, the, the other thing that I would say is I'm not... I've got five steps along here. I just, if I don't get to number three with somebody, who cares? You know, that's, I'm, I'm always going to start trying to understand them, 
Number one is trying to understand someone and and wanting to be understood by them. And that's always going to be the first thing I go with. And I'm always going to kind of, it's an unfolding of myself with that person. You know, I don't think it's what we might call, um, you're going to have to help me out with the terms. I don't remember these terms anymore. What is it called? Relationship evangelism or something? Friendship evangelism? Oh, that's an old term. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. But that's French. not what I'm talking about French, here. Yeah, relation. There's some, yeah, there is some, some word there. No, because in, in, in that context, which is missing from your context here, the person becomes a transaction. Like it's yeah. almost like you're selling, well, you're selling life insurance, essentially. It's like, it, as opposed, instead of just valuing and engaging with the other person because of they are a person, mm-hmm. you're engaging with them to transact this outcome whereby they will go to heaven and not hell. Right. Which some people would say, well, isn't that more important anyway? I mean, who cares if they really become your friend or if you really care about them? I mean, isn't it more important where they spend eternity? Yeah, but how do you manage to work on that absolute scale? Right. And how do you manage? In other words, I have no gauge about what this person's life is like. They could, I, there are days when I'm an asshole. And somebody meeting me might go, man, that guy needs Jesus. <laughs> and they'd probably be right, but not in the way that they're thinking that they mean, right? I could have used Jesus right then and there. I could have used, you know, a little kind of attitude adjustment in a Christian direction. Sure, I can use those sometimes. But I, I guess when, when someone approaches the matter that way, then everything becomes dramatic, Everything becomes moment by moment. We don't, we don't live by moment by moment. Most of us are not living in a world where we could die, where we are likely to die at any moment. We could die at any moment, but it's not likely. Not unless, you know, and, and, and if we know it's likely, we usually know that, right? I'm ill. I've been deeply, you know, I've been, I've been badly wounded in an accident. Something unforeseen has arisen. But I think too that we focus so much on death and we ignore life, you know, and if I am aware of what it is to live life rightly, and that's my goal to embrace this offer of abundant life, then you know what? I think I'm going to have my head on straight enough to recognize when somebody is in a tough position and their life is coming to an end. And I can say, Hey, I don't have these types of conversations uh, typically, but um, if you're interested, I'll have it with you. Because I, I think you're in this kind of position right now. You, you seem like you got a couple hours left or maybe a couple minutes. Hmm. What do you think? You know, I think if I literally came across somebody, that's what I would say. Do you feel like having this conversation? And they might say no, and that's fine. That's their choice. And they might say yes, and I would say okay. And then I would, I would be much more direct than I am normally. But so what I think would you say? I'm curious. Um. Uh, I think it would depend on how much time I thought I had. You've got five minutes. No, I would say I can tell you what I think in one minute's time, and we can talk about it for two, and then you can tell me what you want to do. Okay. If they said yes, um, well, you're asking me to ad lib a pretty tough uh, part, but I would say, <laughs> uh, well, I would, I would just, I would tell them my story. I was, you know, born in a Christian house, and I walked away from Christianity when, uh, you know, a number of really tough things happened to me, and you know, I realized that I had been sexually abused by my father. Uh, he killed himself, uh, my brother and two other people in a car accident, 
traveling, you know, 100 miles an hour in a 50 zone over the legal limit of alcohol. And I've lived through two or three really bad church experiences. And I had some incredible things happen to me as I went to a Christian place with the hopes of just putting this whole God thing to rest so that I would no longer be angry with all these Christians that were around me. And I could just let them be idiots. But I think it's real. And I think love and truth are the two greatest orientations, the two greatest things that humans need. And they are the core of who the Christian God is. I don't know if these things appeal to you. But if love and truth matter to you. So they say, okay, yeah, that's appealing. Now what? Yeah, well, if love and truth matter to you, um, part of what I believe on the basis of, you know, what's written in the book, the Bible, the biblical text, is that God seeks relationship with all human beings. And part of what it is to be in relationship with God is just as God is eternal to be always in relationship with God. And I don't claim to understand it, and I cannot conceptualize it, but life goes on, can go on, after we die. Not simply in a, hey, here I am again way, but in a way where you are your best self, being the best you that you were, you could ever have conceived yourself to be, and being in the fullest and best relationship, that being a relationship, a love relationship with God, that is true. And that goes on. And if that's something that appeals to you, then, you know, one of the things that Christians do is they talk to God and they say, you know what? I'd like to be in relationship with you. Part of what's happened is God has made a, a pretty huge effort to work with a small group of people in a place called Israel. And... um through those people, to offer the possibility of human beings rightly relating to God. And part of that is recognizing, hey, you know, my way of living in the world, my way of being myself is harmful, detrimental, um, false to even my best desires. And part of what I do to be really me is I recognize that I need God to become the self that I want to be, to become the person that I can be. And that by giving up a lot of what I think are my rights to do whatever I choose, I'm actually gaining the possibility of being a real human being rather than being somebody who relies on himself and time and time again can't manage to do the right thing that he wants to do for himself, his kids, his wife, his friends. So it's two things. It's recognizing that God loves you and wants a relationship with you and seeks you and has been seeking you a long time. And maybe this is one of the, the I don't know, maybe this is the last opportunity. And then the second one is recognizing that despite God seeking you, um, you're not in a position to just say, yeah, whatever, I'll do it my way. Or not to recognize even that there are huge areas where you are not the self you want to be, not the self you think you are or claim to be, and recognizing that and embracing God forgiving you for you not being 
who you could have and should have been, and God taking you anyways. Say more about that's beautiful. What say more about the Cute. you started to talk about how God came to do this through a small group called Israel, but you never you kind of stopped there and then moved on. So what what happened there? Well, I guess you know if you if if there was enough time to go into the whole thing about Jesus having to die and and that that's crucially important, but it's it cannot be ta- it cannot be lifted out of the historical realities and the theological realities of the relationship that Israel had with with Yahweh. So, you know, I cut myself short there because I thought, well, if you only had five minutes, don't go down that road. Okay, so you started to go down there and then you stopped. Yeah, because okay. do you need to clarify that point? Well, somebody else, if, if I'm in a conversation with somebody who's dying from cancer, it's going to be dead in three weeks, they're going to push me down that road. Or it's just going to be a logical road to take. But if I'm talking with somebody, you know, I ho- hopefully I'm never in that position. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would I would find that to be a uh, a really tough one, and I would just have to say, you know what? I mean, probably the first thing I would do is say, God, I feel thoroughly unprepared, despite the fact that I don't know that seemed to resonate in some sense with you. I would still feel unprepared. And I would still want more for this person because I know that the lessons I've learned, I've learned over time. You know, certain things I've learned by hitting my head against the wall so many times, being an idiot about something so many times, and then finally realizing, you know what? It doesn't have to be this hard. You don't have to do it that way. You can just kind of relax into this and let this be. And um, not having the opportunity to have the time, you know, like I've, I've had the time and I've taken the time and, and that's, that's as much as you can ask. You know, I've had the time in the sense that I'm, when am I, I'm 46 now, I've had a lot of years and then I have dedicated a tremendous amount of my personal time. I mean, my beliefs are my hobby too, right? This is what I spend my time on. I, I've got tons of commentaries and I, lots of books and I've graduate degree and I've just been really fortunate and privileged and gifted to have the time and to be willing to take the time to investigate these things and just be really thorough. And I'm still, I still don't feel prepared. Say more about this idea of becoming your best self. That's an idea that you put forward a lot. And what occurred to me was, where do you get that? What are you, are you basing that on a certain part of the Bible like where where does that come from I, I like it it's real it's it's a very appealing idea but I don't know that I could say oh you're probably getting it from over here over there I would say being your best self is being in the image of Christ just bang dead on that's it so when people talk about be formed into the image of Christ like what are you talking about what does that mean and, you know it means being a good decision maker where you need to be so when you're a dad you make good dad choices. When you're a spouse, a husband, you make good spouse, husband choices. You know, and then you live up to the things and you learn how to say sorry and you learn how to, how to deal with life when you screw up. And you learn to, to not need to be a big man, but to be a real man. You know, and I hate to say it like that, but I think that's, that's <laughs> the way it is. Uh-huh. You know, being, being a human being, being an adult male, you, you as my best self as an adult male, 
I, I am, I am stripped of the machismo and all of the things that, 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 that epitomize, um, manhood in North American culture or Western culture. And I, or where I, when I'm not, I'm, I'm constantly reminded that, you know, God loves me for me. God seeks me to be, you know, one who goes forward and promotes the realities of God's kingdom, who promotes the love and truth that God is and holds, and to embody those things and to revel in them. So, you know, I think being one's best self is the reality of being a good choice maker, being somebody who, um, you know, we have these these things called the 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 fruits of the spirit in in uh, certain parts of uh, um, the epistles, and, and these are really just ways of uh, characterizing someone who has the the suppleness and the openness that comes from long-standing relationship with God in a right way. That's that's what happens. We develop certain virtues, we cultivate them, and we come to see their value and their necessity in all the areas of our lives. And I think that, yeah, you, you brought me to something a minute ago, though I don't know if I'm answering you with the best self idea. Yeah, but so why why best self equals image of Christ? What how how do you make that connection? I mean, how do I make it theologically or why? Yeah, would I say like that? like I guess it sounds good, but I'm still kinda like, well, why? Based on what? You see, and and here's 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 something thing that I think is really important. We are to image Christ, which means in our character, we are to be like Jesus is. But I think a really important distinction is God doesn't want me to see things like Jesus. I'm not like Jesus. I cannot see things like Jesus. I cannot take the perspective and act. You know, what would Jesus do? That's a great question to ask, but I hope you're not acting on it. <laughs> because you ain't freaking Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus would denounce that person because he knew this. Jesus would forgive that person because he knew that. Well, I don't know this and that. Therefore, I cannot hope to act in those ways. It's a ridiculous notion. Right, but instead, if I can be in character like Christ is, then I, I think what God wants is that I should see things as I see them, with all the responsibility and creativity that that implies. In order for me to do that, I need to be the best me I can be. God is not interested in me being a clone, in me being a puppet, me being a cookie cutter. God is interested in me being myself fully, fully human, and fully as a human being committed to my relationship with God. Loving God entirely, loving myself rightly, loving my neighbor similarly. So when I'm talking about, I don't know if that if okay, that convinces you, but I think the only way to see these sorts of things, you know. Well, it's very unfamiliar. I don't, I can't, yeah. you know, I've not read a lot of books where the, I can't think of any Mm, take that back. Maybe, maybe Wayne Jacobson would would. I feel like he might talk along these lines, although I can't say mm. for sure if it's in any of his stuff. Mm. But yeah, I don't. I, I yeah, this idea that you know, being our best selves. I I don't hear that very often. 
I haven't heard it very often. I think I've primarily heard it from you. Well, yeah, you know, sometimes I feel a little freaky when I say these things, but it's amazing to me as I've been able to put together, you know, just 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 thinking about, well, if I don't agree with a Christian apologetics approach to, to engaging with non-Christians, what do I agree with? And then realizing, I don't agree. I agree with treating Christians and non-Christians identically because it's, it is, in a certain sense, about me, right? About me being in right relationship with God. That's the first thing, loving God entirely. And what happens out of that? I love myself rightly. And then next, I love my labor similarly, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love your neighbor rightly if you don't love yourself rightly. Loving yourself, being in right relationship with yourself through that relationship with God, is the, that's the order in which it flows. And so for me to think about, you know, how this has worked out for me, being my best self is naturally the outcome that God seeks from a relationship with me. God wants me to be my best self. What else could God want? How else could God want me to take responsibility for my actions to uh, develop the creativity needed to respond to various different situations while keeping the faithfulness to some of these overarching uh, characteristics and character traits, you know, maintaining them in these various different situations that call for very different responses? And then what, what, what might God want from me? What might be involved in having peace? Well, having peace means I sleep well at night. And I sleep well at night because I'm pleased with the way I've spent my time during my day. I'm pleased with the decisions I've made. You know, and ultimately, this idea that I am totally in this relationship with God, not, not for God alone. This is a ridiculous notion. Ridiculous. It should be thrown out. I am in this relationship with God because I am deeply in love with the self I am becoming in being loved by and being in love with God. I I love sleeping better at night. I love feeling like I'm making better choices. I love reconnecting with my kids, you know, and some of the things that have happened in my life. And I attribute them and I attribute some of these major decisions, you know, coming back together again with my spouse from after our separation I attribute the impetus to that, to being in right relationship with God and realizing just some of the realizations and understandings that come out of that. So, yeah, I think this is just a, it's a crucial, crucial way of being in the world that you are being rightly with yourself through being rightly with God. And then as a result, when you're with other people, you don't have to treat them like objects. They're not scalps you're trying to win. They're not like on the verge of fire and brimstone is not around the corner, right? This is the God of love, the God of possibilities. You know, God makes hard calls too. We, we, we see this through the text. I'm not saying the hard calls aren't there. You know, I'm not taking a universalist approach. Like God really doesn't care how you act or what you do. No, God is seeking relationship with you. And if you say no, that's fine, but that's the end of it. That's where the matter sits. That's where it closes. You know, and a lot of Christians put this big emphasis on living eternally. And I think, well, that could be hell. That could be just terrible. Living forever? Are you kidding me? I remember seeing a movie with um, 
Oh, Bruce Willis. And it was a strange movie for Bruce Willis, but I think he did it well. And um, Goldie Hawn. And this is a while back, right? And it was two women and one man. And Willis, they all had this choice to live forever. And the two women chose to live forever. And they just became terrible. You know, <laughs> bad people became hideous, right? <laughs> and Willis said, no, I'm not going to do it. And he, he died. And, you know, he was... He made some really good calls in his life. And, and it was interesting as the two of them are at his funeral and they're just going on and on, but they become these bitter, twisted things. And I think eternal life is not the point. The point is that your life is right, that you are the best you that you can be. And that as that sort of proximity, trust, um, intimacy with God increases, you just continue. You just you just become more and more that person who you can be with the uniqueness of your personality and your perspective, your gifts, um, your, your limitations, uh, all wrapped up with the sort of continuity and the harmony, if you like, of many people in, in their own ways mirroring the character and characteristics of Jesus, which are the ways to life. You know, quite literally, these are the ways to live well. This is the path to life. It's not just the path to eternal life. It's the path to life now. It is living as your best self now. And in that sense, I can conceptualize eternity. Eternity makes sense to me. Do I want that? Absolutely. That would be awesome. Because even though I can't quite conceive of it, I can conceive of being a better me in a position where I can be with others who are in, in, in a certain sense, shining and radiant as themselves, you know, and, and uh, I think I see some of that when I get together with the church that I'm attending, where, you know, as I've mentioned to you before, it's tough when you open your mouth to sing, everybody is a singer, like they're, they're not just, you know, sort of good at singing, they're, uh, they're gifted. And so it's a very, it's an extraordinarily musical crowd. You know, you could ask Pretty much anyone in the audience will play an instrument. Some of them play five or six. And they're all performers. And it's a theater town. And it's a theater school town. And so in that sense, in a musical sense, you have this kind of shining radiance as people, they'll, they'll put on concerts. And just, you know, the whole, the whole village. And um, they don't need to invite anybody else. They're fantastic on their own. And it, it, I think that's a, a little bit of a, a microcosm of, of what it might be like to be, you know, in, if you like, in heaven or in a place where people are their best selves in the presence of the one with whom they are meant to be. That's what heaven is or will be as far as I can understand it. And that is a place worth being. It's hard to argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. So well, speaking of arguments, uh, so, so anyone out there, if you tell us what you think of this idea of of being your best self does it resonate with you do you think there are problems with it do you think it's the worst thing you've ever heard on this podcast <laughs> let us know uh, there are many avenues to do that send email to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com there's also the facebook group if you uh sign up with your email on our website we'll send you an invite to that and uh i guess we'll just leave it there sounds good jenny
Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. Notes and links for this episode are at untanglingchristianity.com. We welcome your thoughts and comments both at the website and our private Facebook group. If you'd like to join the private Facebook group, let us know your email address in the sidebar of the website to receive notes and links for each episode, and we'll send you an invite to our private group. Or you can send your thoughts or requests to join the group by email. Send those emails to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.